This is not the final Saturday of 2021, but this is the final Saturday edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement for this 2000th and 21st year of the Common Era. There's been nothing common about this year, or any other for that matter. And this newsletter and podcast seeks to point out items of note, though it's up to you to decide if there's a tune. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's show, an update on the pandemic, including a recommendation related to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. An Albemarle supervisor has concerns about the MPO hiring a consultant to craft a strategic plan. Albemarle County is considering three software platforms, and the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society explains its race and sports initiative and how it advances the study of the era of school desegregation. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, algorithms know how to put songs and artists together based on genre or beats per minute, but only people can make connections that engage your mind and warm your heart. The music on WTJU 91.1 FM is chosen by dozens and dozens of volunteer hosts, music lovers like you who live right here in the Charlottesville area. Listener donations keep WTJU alive and thriving. In this era of algorithm-driven everything, go against the grain. Support Freeform Community Radio on WTJU with a donation at wtju.net slash donate. On Thursday, the Centers for Disease Control endorsed a recommendation that individuals should receive the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine over the Johnson & Johnson shot. Both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines use messenger RNA. Still, the CDC recommends any vaccine in the face of another surge of cases nationally and internationally. Dr. Kosti Safri is the Director of Hospital Epidemiology at the University of Virginia Health System. In general, the mRNA vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna should be used in preference um, over Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. Dr. Sifri said the new preference is due to new information that shows the possibility of higher rates of blood clotting than previously known. Still, it is a rare event, um, but they are higher, and it led to that um, change in stance. The Blue Ridge Health District announced Friday that the Johnson & Johnson shot will only be offered as a first dose, but boosters will no longer be provided at community-based vaccination events or in mobile vaccination clinics. While supplies last, the Johnson & Johnson booster will still be available at the Community Vaccination Center at Seminole Square. Dr. Sifri said those who have had the booster of the Johnson & Johnson shot should monitor for any symptoms of blood clots, such as shortage of breath. He said UVA Health is recommending those who have not had the Johnson & Johnson booster select either the Moderna or Pfizer shot when they go in for a booster. Two-thirds of Virginians have now received enough doses to be considered fully vaccinated, or 5.7 million people. So far, only 1.7 million of Virginians have had a booster or third dose. This is the time now to get your booster. Um, So um, the time for getting boosters um, um, to prepare yourself for the holiday season um, is starting to run out. So get your boosters now. It takes a little bit of time for that booster to take effect and to to boost your immune system to be prepared to um, encounter what, what it may encounter along the way. 
As of yesterday, the seven-day average for vaccines administered is at 42,631 shots a day. The seven-day average for new cases was 2,760 a day, and the percent positivity is 8.6 percent. The next set of numbers in Virginia will come out on Monday morning. Dr. Sifri said he expects the surge to continue. We are anticipating that we're going to see more cases, and I think that the likelihood is that's going to translate into more hospitalizations and deaths. We're starting to see, you know, modeling information, um, uh, you know, um, from the CDC that um, is warning of that possibility. So, so we are concerned about that. That is um, similar to, um, to what we saw last year as well. The difference this year is a supply of vaccines. To inquire about vaccination opportunities at the UVA Health System, call 434-297-4829. You can also visit the Virginia Department of Health site at vaccinate.virginia.gov. Albemarle County's Procurement Office has identified that the firm Granicus will be awarded a sole-source contract for a community engagement platform unless other vendors come forward. In a notice dated December 17th, procurement officials state that Granicus is the only source practically available, and the platform Bang the Table is mentioned. Granicus's website lists this as a platform to listen, inform, measure, and build community and also has a helpful online assistant known as Eddie the Engager. Other vendors have until December 28th or the contract will be awarded. In similar procurement notices, Yardy Systems has a sole source award for the Breeze Premier platform for property management, and that closing date is December 27th. LexisNexis Systems has a sole source award that closes on Monday for the Accurant Virtual Crime Center, which is touted as a way for law enforcement to obtain a comprehensive view of people's identities. Two new faces joined the virtual table at the December meeting of the Charlottesville-Albemarle Metropolitan Planning Organization's Policy Board. The federally mandated body consists of two Albemarle supervisors, two Charlottesville City Councilors, and the head of the Virginia Department of Transportation's Culpeper District. That's now Sean Nelson, who became district engineer in mid-October, replacing John Lynch. Um, and I'm glad to be a part of this team here. Culpeper's got a great team. I look forward to... Um continuing to keep things going the way John Lynch did and, and just hold the steering wheel and, and carry us into the future. So I appreciate being here and plan to be an active participant. Ted Reek is the new director of Jaunt after a period running a similar agency in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Really happy to be here in Charlottesville. Uh, as you all know, this is a great community and a great part of the country. And I look forward to hopefully being a, a contributor and a partner to all of you as we develop uh, transportation and transit in the area. Staffing shortages at the Thomas Jefferson Planning District have meant some delays in work that transportation staff had expected to work on. Director of Planning and Transportation Sandy Shackelford said planners are focused on what has to be done. We are preparing for things like our long-range transportation plan and that we're going to be able to do a good job with that. It does mean that there are some projects that we just haven't been able to pursue for right now, um, like focusing on how we can better integrate climate action initiatives into our long-range transportation planning process. Shackelford said another item that may be delayed will be the creation of a strategic plan for the MPO. She suggested additional funding could be placed in an item to outsource that work to a consultant. 
That idea drew the concern of Albemarle County Supervisor Ann Malik. This makes me very nervous that we're going to turn over something as particular and local as our strategic planning to some consultant who probably has no familiarity with us at all. TJPDC Director Christine Jacobs said the plan already had been to spend $25,000 on a consultant to do the plan, but no firms responded at that price. The new idea is to increase that amount by using funds that have not gone to pay for a TJPDC staff member. Shackelford said no other MPO in Virginia has a strategic plan. Malik suggested waiting until the local elected bodies are sat in January and select new MPO members. The MPO Policy Board will next discuss this matter in January. Julia Monteith is a land-use planner at the University of Virginia's Office of the Architect, and she said the pandemic has delayed creation of a master plan called the Grounds Plan. We ended up putting the project on hold until post-COVID or post-better understanding of COVID. Um, But one of the things that we did during that year is we did some enabling projects in-house that we felt that we were capable of doing to inform the plan. And um, that lowered our um, fees once we got to hiring the consultants. You can take a look at the 2008 grounds plan in a link in the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time now for a second Patreon-fueled shout-out. Winter is here, and now is the time to think about keeping your family warm through the cold Virginia months. Make sure you are getting the most out of your home with help from your local energy nonprofit, LEAP. LEAP wants you and yours to keep comfortable all year round and offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If you're age 60 or older, or have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements, such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. One segment today, something I've been trying to get to for a couple of weeks now, and now the time is here. The Brown versus Board of Education ruling in 1954 led to the eventual desegregation of public schools. For many schools created for black students, that ended an era for beloved institutions. That's the case with Charlottesville and Jackson P. Burley High School. Dr. Shelley Murphy is the chair of the board of the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society, an entity that has been working on collecting more oral histories as part of a project called Race and Sports, the Desegregation of Central Virginia Public High School Athletics. Our goal is to collect 50 to 60 interviews of those from our local communities who were young students at that time, many of whom were in the athletics who desegregated the first teams at Lane and Albemarle High Schools, and some of who went on to the University of Virginia to play on teams there. Murphy and others presented their work on November 28th as part of the Sunday sit-in series that's put on by AARP Virginia. You can watch the whole event on their YouTube page. 
Former city councilor and historian George Gillum is one of the participants in this project. He provided some historical context. So in 1954, in the case of Brown v. Board of Education, the United States Supreme Court ruled that racially segregated schools were unconstitutional. Now that put Virginians into a box because Virginians had adopted a state constitution in 1902 that provided, quote, white and colored children shall not be taught in the same school. Virginia resisted the directive even after a reaffirmation in 1955 that ordered desegregation happen with all deliberate speed. And after two years, some Charlottesville residents got frustrated and finally brought suit against the Charlottesville School Board seeking admittance of black children to all white schools. The Virginia General Assembly then sprung into action enacting a, po- a package of laws providing that, among other things, any school that desegregates, whether voluntarily or pursuant to court order, is to be seized by the governor and closed. Gillum said this era is known as massive resistance because the state government refused to comply with the law. He said in the fall of 1958, the state closed Lane High School when it appeared some black students would be admitted. The massive resistance laws were determined to be unconstitutional. In 1959, the parties reached a compromise. The schools agreed to ease black students into the previously all-white student bodies achieving full desegregation, but not until the fall of 1967. For this period, Jackson P. Burley High School remained open for several years while the transition took place. This is where athletics comes in. Charlottesville's Lane High School for white and Burley High for black students both had championship football teams. The high school for white students had a 53-game streak during which they were undefeated. And Burley, the high school for black students, had an entire season where they were not only undefeated and untied, they were not even scored upon. Gillum said the legacy of the Burley Bears was threatened with the order to desegregate. UVA historian Phyllis Leffler said telling that story is crucial to understanding many of the dynamics of the time in a way that transcends the legal framework. The Race and Sports Project inserts the voices of those who lived through a critical time in our local and national history. Those voices of black and white athletes and what they went through are in danger of being lost. So many of the people we would have liked to speak with are no longer with us. So it is imperative that we document this period now with those who have stories to tell. Leffler said a common assumption is that sports was seen to be a way to bring the community together, but hearing some of these stories paints a different picture. We are still living the consequences of racial inequities that go back 400 years. This project will hopefully help bring our divided communities together by honestly looking at the costs and benefits of desegregation. For more information on the Race and Sports Project, do watch that video on YouTube or take a look at a link that's in the newsletter.
Late last year, Jackson P. Burley High School was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And that's it for this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement 296, if you're playing along at home. If you have listened to all of these so far, thank you so much. I don't even think I've listened to all of them, and I produced all of them. But there is somebody out there who might have actually done that. And if you have, congratulations. There will be another one of these coming out on Monday, but between now and then, the week ahead is what I will focus my time on. It is, of course, coming to the end of the year, and there will be a slight slowdown in episodes as I get ready for 2022, a year that will be probably even more uncommon than this one. What a lark that will be. If you would like to guarantee that this program comes out, please do consider making a donation or please do consider a subscription through Substack. If you go that route, the company Ting will match your initial payment, which is an extra level of funding for me into the future. Another thing you can do, of course, is to sign up for a Patreon account. For any of these things, just drop me a line. If you'd like to support this program in a different way that I have not listed, do get in touch with me. There's lots of things we can work on because uh, I'm really hoping to keep doing this well into the future. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of the program. As I said, I will be back shortly. In the meantime, stay safe, stay warm, stay COVID-free if you can, and stay Saturday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.